Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. Transpersonal psychology was an outgrowth the human potential movement in the late 1960s, and it's associated with some of the forward-thinking psychologists of that era, such as people like Carl Rogers, the great humanist psychologist, um, uh, the patient-client-centered therapy. There was Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, Fritz Perls, Gestalt Therapy, and um, Abraham Maslow. We'll be talking a little bit about him. Uh, interested in the idea of having a modality that would set goals for the therapeutic encounter that were far beyond what were the normative classical goals of what one would go to therapy for, such as dealing with obsessive thoughts or uh, distorted thoughts or reducing anxiety directly or uh, self-esteem. They posited as the goal of the therapeutic encounter, ego transcendence and self-actualization. Now, what the hell is that? Well, that's my job to try to explain them both. And then I'm going to talk about the tools that they used uh, to <clears throat> allow people to experience ego transcendence and uh, self-actualization. And then in our practice today, we're actually going to use some of the tools that were popularized by transpersonal psychology. So this is your little toe into the pond. So ego transcendence. To understand what ego transcendence is, we first have to understand what the ego is. And the only reason why I'm going to take a little time to define that is because today the word ego has been so uh, misused and has been so uh, essentially uh, been associated with meanings that are not in any way um, what are clinically associated with the ego and to understand what ego transcendence is so we have to have a sense on what the ego really is all about so <clears throat> the ego is of course in the in the last 120 years was uh, posited by Freud in his tripartite view of the brain uh, tripartite means Freud believed there was three significant different components to our psyche or our internal psychological experience. The first that goes online is the id, which is the primitive domain of unconscious latent uh, drives, core instinctual drives that are not logical, that are not, uh, uh, that are essentially these raw impulses. And Freud originally said there was only two drives, which was uh, discharging libidinal pleasure or libidinal energies and aggression. Uh, subsequently, not that many years after Freud in 1920 uh, uh, sort of formulated all these finally into a theory, 
Um, it wasn't that long before many of his followers realized he got it a little bit wrong and that the primary drive beyond libidinal gratification and aggression was actually to attach to other people for care, support, emotional co-regulation. And so the object relations therapists like Melanie Klein and Winnicott and uh, Wilfred Brion and all those other Fairbanks basically said, no, the core drive beyond sex and aggression is to bond with others for care and support. So these are the core drives. And then Freud said uh, the other two um, areas that of the psyche that go online after the id or these primitive, very strong drives are in many ways inhibitory. The drives push us towards behaviors and actions, but the other two parts inhibit and sort of delay. So one part was called the superego. And the superego is the internalization of our parents, to put it bluntly, and the socializing rules of our culture. And the very often the, the, the belief structures that are introduced to us through our parents are to do things that in no way um, call attention to ourselves, to become self-reliant, to uh, prioritize achievement, uh, to seek uh, esteem from other people, and so forth. Uh, it's especially important for parents that they inculcate into their children staying safe and being self-reliant, because that's very much in their interest that their children don't die and that their children as soon as possible learn to take care of themselves in a responsible way. So they create these directives that, and these ideal states that we should attain. And the, the superego's job is to suppress all of our core drives that in any way would compromise our social standing and make us not look good to others. So the third main factor of the psyche is the ego and the ego's job was to step in between these two incompatible directives one is to bond and to seek sexual gratification and express aggression wherever we want whenever we want in any direction and the overly inhibitive rules of the superego as well as what's called the reality principle what is actually available to you in the world and this ego's job was to make sense of it all, to come up with solutions that would um, allow you to postpone your desire mm -hmm. until you acted out on your desires with people that were safe and in situations that were appropriate. So it was the ego's job to step in between one faction of the brain, which is inhibitory and overly concerned with looking good at all costs to other people and the core drives. So the ego's job is to navigate between those two. And what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, uh, of course, over time, the tensions between overly inhibitive socializing that we don't in any way uh, ever uh, admit our vulnerability that we don't ever express our needs in situations, that we become overly 
self-reliant that we you know always look good to others versus the uh, core drives of simply wanting to find pleasure and express our aggressive and our anxieties and to bond with people that may or may not be appropriate um, over time what's known as ego dystonic compulsions arise what is that what is an ego dystonic well it means that eventually all the, the drives that we repress over the course of our lives and the needs that we repress start to arise and first what happens when repressed drives arise according to freud and this is pretty obviously true is we experience anxiety i'm doing it wrong i'm at panic attacks i don't know you know there's this feeling that there's something unlovable in me that if i truly express myself people would reject me this anxiety that the very things that the superego tell me are unlovable about myself that i have to repress i can't keep them down forever and so they start to arise and so the ego's solutions very often are not that good <laughs> and or it will experience uh compulsions that are actually what's called addictions we will seek to sublimate our, our drives for pleasure and attachment by constantly watching TV, shopping, eating, drugs, uh, uh, pornography, whatever it is, people will try to somehow uh, sublimate or express those core drives in ways that at first don't displease the superego, but the tension becomes so great because actually the core needs aren't actually being met. And at the same time, the superego is horrified by these compulsions and so the solutions don't work and we wind up trapped with feelings of anxiety and with uh, of this very vulnerable separate self so here's where ego transcendence comes in ego transcendence is in transpersonal psychology this idea that the therapeutic encounter should be about experiencing non-ordinary states of mind peak experiences where the feelings of being entirely separate from the world and from other people are transcended and that in some way this great sense of unity and interconnection that we would experience would at the very same time gratify the needs of both the superego and the id because the experience of being interconnected and at one with something larger than ourself would meet this libidinal need for connection and pleasure. But at the same time, from the superego's perspective, the sense of interconnection and oneness with everything and everyone being completely present in our lives and being completely aware and interconnected would also meet the superego's need for feeling in some way socially appropriate, bonded, and uh, self-reliant or self-sustaining. So in some way, ego transcendence completely in some way finds entirely new solutions for this age-old dilemma of how can I get my core needs met, but in a way that is not <laughs> antisocial, but also in a way that is um, gratifying 
And that's a very difficult, narrow corridor to walk down and thread, as it were. So um, <clears throat> uh, beyond the normal goals of therapy, again, which are very often addressing obsessive thoughts and creating self-esteem, uh, transpersonal psychologists were interested in these peak experiences, rare uh, or unusual mind states where one felt this profound connection with the present moment and the world around us, where all of the narrative overlay that was filtering our experience would drop away, this sense of a narrow disconnected self which is so endemic to our inner narrator would fall away. And one would experience great moments of compassion with all beings because we felt connected and would also experience a state of rapture because once we feel connected in this profound way, there would be the vulnerability of being an isolated individual that had to be totally self-reliant in accordance with the, the early superego programming we have would drop away and we would no longer view ourselves as vulnerable and completely isolated and disconnected. So in many ways, this solution is quite beautiful because once you can experience these profound non-ordinary non mind states where you feel this great sense of, of interconnection <laughs> with the world, appreciation of the present moment, a sense of embeddedness. Um, uh, then if you have setbacks in your life, if you somebody at work gives you a hard time or if in your career you struggle to, you know, at times achieve goals that you want or if you have uh, fights with attachment figures or whatever, you now don't view it from the same perspective. You view it from this perspective now that you've attained in the therapeutic encounter and in your spiritual practice of feeling this, knowing that there's this profound oneness, this profound sense of meaning and purpose and interconnection. And therefore the little daily mundane squabbles and disappointments no longer takes on the same degree of resonance. Uh, as it would in the past. This, is this making sense, by the way? I know I look good. Okay. <laughs> so, um, that's what they were aiming for. Peak experiences of interconnection, oneness, transpersonal, i.e. when you transcend your ego and its normal ways of trying to meet the needs of, you know, trying to figure it out logically, which is what the ego does, transpersonal experiences are essentially based on practices that are not logical, but create these extraordinary mind states that solve the human dilemma in a profoundly different way. So now before we go on to the tools that they use, I'm going to talk for a few moments about the what's called self-actualization. Self-actualization we owe to Abraham Maslow. Um, and Maslow, very much similar to some of the core uh, uh, tenets of the Dharma, uh, noted that there are these uh, 
requisites or hierarchy of needs that we have to meet in our life to have any chance of happiness. So the first group he said that we need to meet are our needs for safety and physiological support. So that's like food, water, health, um, a place to go at night to sleep that's secure, even to live in a world that's not completely, uh, not to live in a country that's in a war zone <laughs> and so forth. Um, and these are the very foundations. We have to meet these. And then once we meet those, then we move on to the next two, one of which was attachment, love and belonging, that interpersonal connection for emotion co-regulation we get only from other people. And then as well, we would also seek uh, some form of esteem. Esteem is a sense of competency, confidence in one's skills and worthiness. And yes, that's what I'm gonna be doing my uh, uh, day long or day long on this. Um, so you need to meet these sort of very important uh, core uh, universal needs. But then Maslow interestingly said there's something even beyond love and belonging, something even beyond uh, esteem, something even beyond our needs for food and for shelter that gives life its final sense of meaning and purpose, and that is the state of self-actualization. Self-actualization is almost identical to peak experiences. There are states where, according to Maslow, we would experience a kind of extreme gratitude appreciation of the very basic mundane experiences like eating toast or having a morning tea or a walk to work or everything would open up and blossom with the sensory richness and we would feel this complete oneness where sensory experience was so rich and our normal narrative thoughts that keep us distant from our actual experience and keep relegating our current experience to, oh, it's just another Tuesday, I have to go to Dharma Puns and I gotta get something to eat, you know. But actually where we're truly looking at each moment as if we've never had any moment like it before and we're truly embedded in it. Self-actualization was someone who didn't strive to finish tasks or to get anywhere. They would be present in every moment of their life and feel connected with every moment. Self-actualization was someone who would feel they have a higher task always to fulfill in their life and they enjoyed every moment of the journey of that task. Self-fulfillment would be someone who embraced the unknown self you know self-actualization would be someone who in, felt a profound sense of interconnection with others and other beings especially <clears throat> abraham maslow very much believed in a connection be, between oneself animals and natures nature was as profound also as interconnection with other people. And he believed that it was only through this profound state where we fully realize our potential as human beings to truly care about each moment of our life and embrace it, that we 
um, we reach what he thought should be the goal of the therapeutic encounter. Now, you might hear this and say, well, this sounds pretty reasonable. I mean, it certainly does to me, but actually nobody in the American Psychoanalytic Association for years, they thought this was complete wacko hippie nonsense. <laughs> you know, no, we don't have any time for this oneness and interconnection bit and this feeling of this immense gratitude for every little tangible experience. We just want to help people that are going crazy to their thoughts and we just want to address depression and anxiety and this whole need for a profound purpose in life that sounds great but that's all niceties that won't that are not really uh that we can't focus on but that maslow it was only by having this ultimate goal that the therapeutic encounter would have any direction and would have any real point that we had to shoot for something this profound. Because if people don't have these peak experiences of oneness, then no matter how much forward movement in their life, they will still feel insufficient. They will still feel a sense of emptiness. They will still feel a sense of what is the point. So um, that's what self-actualization is and what uh, peak experiences and what uh, uh, ego transcendence is and so now uh, on to um, the different uh, practices that transpersonal psychology used and transpersonal psychology was known for integrating Buddhist and Hindu yogic practices, Vedantic practices, uh, Ayurvedic practices into the therapeutic encounter. And that's why, from a Buddhist perspective, it's such a important um, therapeutic tradition. So there were four basic areas where uh, transpersonal psychology utilized core Buddhist tools and implemented it in literally the client-therapist interaction. And the ways that they did it fundamentally changed the way in the West, the Dharma is viewed. Today, we have wonderful teachers like Tara Brock and Cornfield, etc., and Goldstein, but all of these teachers are completely indebted, as we'll see, to actually the way transpersonal psychology brought uh, Buddhist practice into therapy and its, its goals. So the first goal of um, uh, the uh, transpersonal psychology was to develop what's called non-judgmental acceptance of our experience. And this was a whole idea that had never before made any appearance in therapeutic. But of course, the role of acceptance and observing our life without having this initial uh, filter of our views and opinions overlaid where we developed a kind of deep interest and curiosity before we judged or evaluated whether someone was good or bad, convenient, inconvenient, useful or useless, where we would just be fascinated. And they were really interested because, of course, you can't have peak experiences of oneness and unity if your initial way of interacting with each new moment of your life is filtered through the scrim of 
cognitive evaluations. Oh, you know, this meal is good or bad. I don't like uh, uh, sushi or I like sushi, therefore whatever, where we go into each moment without this, uh, this lived, pre-digested, predetermined views about it. So they were very interested in this core Buddhist practice of rather than following our reactions to life, getting curious and observing our reactions to life. So what does that mean? In um, uh, their view uh, and the way they adopted this core Buddhist tool, uh, suppose somebody you find out from a friend has said something uh, nasty about you. Yes, nasty. Even worse than nasty. <laughs> they just said something nasty about you. They've gone over the top and slagged you off and you find out about that. So our normative reaction, of course, would be to become defensive and say, well, what the fuck? That person's not so great. I, uh, either that, you know, and uh, I never did anything to them and I never talk about them behind their back and I don't know what the fuck they're going on about because, you know, whatever. So we would have this reaction and the reaction defensiveness is ingrained as a way to protect us from doubt that would chew away at our ego and make us feel less capable of solving our needs and question our skills in the world. So for a transpersonal psychologist, though, it was the emphasis would be upon observing those reactions rather than focusing on the event that happened. So instead of being caught up in the story of how dare they, how could this person insult me, what's the matter with them, the transpersonal psychologist would say, okay, let's observe what does it feel like when you launch into this defensive, you know, protecting yourself and slagging off them because they've insulted you. What is that like in your body and how does that feel in your mind and what effect does that take on you? So instead of training the mind on the uh, activating event, the person saying something bad about you, you train your mind instead on the way you responded and get curious about that and try to distance ourselves from all of our ingrained reactions to life and just become interested in, okay, <clears throat> why do I need to respond this way, react this way? Is there another way I can respond? Can I assume, okay, maybe this person has noted something about me that needs investigation, or can I respond by calling up and find, finding out more from the person, or can I respond about just simply soothing myself and observing the reactions, but not following those reactions into some kind of defensive behavior. So <clears throat> from this emphasis upon non-judgmental acceptance and inquiry, the second interest in transpersonal psychology was to bring meditation into the therapy hour or 45 minutes more likely um, so of course they were interested in meditation not only because of its ability to still the mind through concentration practice and to bring awareness to the non-cognitive wisdom of that is expressed through the body 
our right hemisphere, all of our intuition, all of our emotional associations. So much of our lived uh, is, you know, stressed through the body. And they would want to just become aware of the body and learn how to uh, integrate that. But even more important to transpersonal psychologists was that meditation allowed them to develop what's known as grounding. Now, what's grounding? Grounding is, instead of top-down processing, bottom-up processing of each moment of our life. Top-down processing is when, in each moment, each event, instead of fully immersing ourselves in the sensory experience of how our body feels, the actual sensations around us, the feelings, the, you know, the emotional uh, activations, we tend to uh, listen or pay most attention to our thoughts about and our, um, you know, all of our pre-digested, pre-experienced opinions and views. There's this overlay and that's what's known as top-down processing because the essentially the more inhibitory, disconnected parts of the mind are that are influenced by our past opinions and experiences take priority over what's actually happening right now. Bottom-up experiences is when you focus on what is happening right now without adding any interpretation and with essentially disconnecting from our ingrained reactions by just stopping and paying attention and just completely burying yourself in the moment. And for them, this was profoundly useful in peak experiences. For them, in fact, uh, transpersonal psychologists believe that the way to these peak experiences were in this deeply profound, unusual embeddedness in the present moment without our usual overlay of views and opinions and narratives and what does this mean and how, how will I talk about this in the future and so forth. Um, and they would very often use open-ended questions in when they would lead people through guided meditations, clients through guided meditations, they would ask very repetitive questions. And the repetitive question would be, what is going on right now? What is going on right now? And that question would be to uh, guide people back to their felt experience in their body, what they were actually sensing, feeling, noticing, rather than the story that we tell about ourselves and our experience. And today, there is not, I have to tell you, there is not <clears throat> a Buddhist teacher in the land who doesn't use a phrase indebted to these therapists asking that, what is going on right now? What are you experiencing? What's happening? just now, all of that comes from the transpersonal psychology bringing Buddhist practice into therapy. The third practice they brought in is guided imagery. Guided imagery, of course, um, can be uh, in Buddhist practice. It could be, uh, there's, a, there's a famous um, uh, set of practices where one visualizes a circle or color or shape, and those were known as nimittas in early Buddhism, and guided imageries have been 
uh, <clears throat> were employed though by transpersonal psychologists to visualize profound states that were well beyond the capabilities of the client and open up the client to completely fresh new possibilities in their life that they had never realized in their day-to-day -day experience. So one practice, the therapist would have somebody visualize what it would be like if they could live without their symptoms, what that life would look like if they didn't have their crippling anxiety or if they didn't have their uh, chronic lack of confidence or lack of self-esteem. They would have people visualize these uh, wonderful states that would be uh, essentially present a, allow the person to visualize goals that were beyond even their most reasonable expectations. Uh, they also would use visualizations to address traumas that hadn't been healed. And today, in much of my teaching, I use uh, some practices known as the ideal parent protocol, which are attachment-based. But the people who developed that, Dan Brown and Sam Elliott, are actually transpersonal psychologists. They actually develop the tools that heal attachment wounds using guided visualizations in the rich tradition of transpersonal psychology. And what they would do is have you visualize yourself in the past at a time in your life where you didn't get love, care, attention from somebody that you sought from, and they would have you visualize someone actually paying attention to you, meeting your needs, so that you would physiologically have a peak experience of what it would be like if you were secure in your childhood. They also came up with some profound peak experiences, meditations, one called the flowing stream, and I'm going to lead you through that and the meditation. And this is to open up the mind and to allow it to have rich associations beyond our normal experience. And then lastly, they even, uh, shockingly, introduced mantras into um, the therapeutic encounter. Mantras are, of course, phrases that are repeated until the phrase itself loses all its meanings and it's simply about the feeling that the phrase evokes. Transpersonal psychologists, though, would integrate um, mantras in. What they would have is, though the mantras wouldn't be necessarily spiritual phrases, they would have people very often recite some of the embedded core beliefs that are indoctrinated into us, like it's important to be uh, self-sustaining, it's important to have esteem, it's important to have money, it's important to have some phrase that is deeply embedded and endemic to our culture. But if you repeat these phrases over and over and over, guess what happens? they start sounding really fucking creepy. <laughs> they start sounding like, holy shit, I've been living in accordance with this? Really, you know, that, you know, it, you know imagine saying that, um, you know, it's in, suppose you had, you repeated to yourself over and over again without having a breath, in be much of a breath in between, it's important what other people think about me. 
or I should really care what pe how people view me at every moment of my life. <clears throat> you start repeating that over and over again, and suddenly it no longer seems reasonable at all. It starts to feel like this huge burden that's alienating, and now what we want to do is get away from it. And so they can actually use, in many ways, mantras to essentially alienate us from core felt beliefs that we're not serving us well. Or, on the other hand, they could have you repeat uh, phrases associated with uh, goals and parts of yourself that you have undervalued. And then by repeating those phrases, you would actually develop and cultivate a renewed appreciation of, you know, how important it is to connect with others, or how important it is to appreciate love or nature or whatever. So that's a whole lot of talking. And I hope something in there was interesting. And all that set up what's going to be tonight's practice, where we're going to be integrating a couple of two classic tools from transpersonal psychology. We're going to be using a Buddhist meditation as it might be used in a therapeutic encounter. And we're also going to be using guided imagery. So I thank you for listening. And find, well, first allow yourself to stretch if you need, and just allow yourself to uh, find a comfortable position. Can we open the door a little bit? Sure. Before? Yeah, of course. I just close it because sometimes the, uh, yeah. the person who teaches next door you can hear it. But uh, yeah, we should get some air. Actually, we can turn on the fan yeah. too. Yeah. Get them fans, yeah. There we go. Nice. So we'll actually start getting oxygen has been ordered and it will be delivered <laughs> by. Uh, so, um, oh, I can feel it already. I can even feel a subtle, very subtle breeze. We can leave the door open. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, closing the eyes, and uh, just, we'll take a few breaths just to settle. So take a nice full in-breath through the nose and squinch the muscles in your face, really like make an ugly pinched face, the, fur, the brows furrow, the eyes, you know, the eyes feel tight, the jaw is clenched, the nose is really pinched as well, and then as you breathe out, soften. Just engaging the uh, facial muscles actually can start activating the uh, ventral parasympathetic, the rest and digest state. 
And then the second in-breath, lifting your shoulders up if you like, and just rotating the shoulders back to open up the chest. Gauge that bagel break and drop your, drop every, both shoulders and you've just dropped two heavy suitcase cases. One filled with all the unresolved issues and challenges of life and the other all the plans and concerns about the future so all the past and the future were just dropped and for our third breath as you breathe in imagine that all the air is going into your belly and your belly is expanding and bloating and then as you breathe out slowly feel the release in the belly abdominal breathing is profoundly relaxing when people are activated chronically stressed uh, panicking reactive they tend to as a result of being the sympathetic nervous system they tend to breathe through act the breath is most visible in the chest but when somebody's really relaxed lying on a couch just doing something that feels really comfortable you'll notice that there's far more in articulation of the breath in the belly sends a message up to your midbrain saying I'm safe right now and also what we want to do is uh, just cultivate an out breath that's really long soft slow the longer the out breath the more we will be relaxed and actually engages the nervous system part that uh, deactivates us and if you feel yourself dozing off or losing awareness just put all the energy into the top of the body keeping the head up lifting the chin opening up the chest as much as possible just put some energy there but if you want to simply relax just focus on the long exhalation the the abdominal breathing, the open chest,
So our goal present is just to stay aware of our present experience, the way our body feels, noticing how the breath is, noticing any feelings present, slight contractions in the front of the body or jumpiness in the mind. sense of heaviness or sense of distance from our experience. And the query will be what's going on right now. What is my experience right now? Becoming curious, as if we were visitors from a distant galaxy that had somehow landed inside of human bodies and we've never experienced the feeling of being in a body, breathing, sitting. Just bringing this profound, renewed curiosity Every time we get lost in thought, no worries, no judgment. We could get curious about why this thought was felt the need to pull us away from this moment. But for this practice, let's just once again ask what's going on right now and just come back again what am I feeling right now
So at this point, if you'd like, see if you can visualize standing beside a stream in a wooded area. And the stream is rippling slowly. The terrain is not too steep, so the stream is just an idle stream moving slowly, twists and bends over rocks and branches and just the water that looks clean flowing past you. And then imagine placing a leaf into this stream. And your awareness would rest right atop this leaf. And you would flow with this leaf down this very slow moving water through twists and bends moving just flowing with the water wherever it takes you. And then just allow yourself now to land wherever your imagination decides is just right. It's a place that you are safe. The weather is perfect. It's a bright time of day. And before we leave this spot, we're going to now climb into a protective bubble. This bubble is comfortably larger than we are, but not too big that we feel lost in it. And once we're in this protective bubble, nothing can happen to us. We're bringing this peace and ease with us wherever we go. When you're in this bubble, no one can do anything to you. 
If you'd like, the bubble could be completely invisible to others. So while you're in it, they can't even see you. And now allow this bubble to take you wherever you need. Perhaps it'll take you to a destination that you've wanted to realize but didn't really know it. Or perhaps it'll take you to something that you've been quietly dreading, but now in this bubble you can be present, but be totally invulnerable. Any situation that's normally difficult you could view, but others couldn't see you. Or you could be present in any situation that normally is overwhelming and your body would be relaxed and your breath would be long and soft and wherever you go there's no need to, or interest in evaluating. This is just an experience in your mind. What would it be like to be able to go anywhere and feel safe and protected wherever you are? How would that feel?
And so whenever you're ready, at your own pace, just allow whatever you visualize to slowly be replaced by the sounds surrounding us. Mm. A sense of being in a room with others. But try to keep in touch with that feeling of being safe. At your own pace, open your eyes and try to bring with you anything that you've connected with into the rest of the evening. Mm.